Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast featuring Pastor Mark Miner, where we will journey together to help you grasp how the Bible fits together to provide a coherent, understandable, and historical book. The purpose of this podcast is not to convince, but to help you understand. Not to defend, but to connect the dots of this most amazing book. Not to debate, but to discover the plan of the Bible. There is a plan. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave us a review. It really does help us. And now, here's Pastor Mark. Well, thank you so much for sharing these very precious moments with me today. I have never been to the Kentucky exhibit known as Noah's Ark, put together by Ken Ham and uh, the Answers in Genesis people. But uh, I know a man, Melvin Jones, who helped build that ark. I know many others who have been there, and their testimonies almost always uh, to a person come back, I can't believe what I saw. I can't believe how large it was. I had this conception in my mind, and when I got there to see literally what a huge vessel this boat was, uh, specifically commanded by God with specific instructions on levels and sizes and things like that. It all just came together for me at that point. Well, I haven't been there myself. I'm confessing that right now. I intend to get there some someday soon. But And if you have, you know what I'm talking about. Well, today in our episode, episode 53, we're going to be talking about the Thomas Principle. And by that, I simply mean seeing and believing. And if you've seen Noah's Ark, then perhaps you can see and believe how all of the animals that the Bible specifies needed to be on that boat could have easily fit on that boat. One of my favorite disciples of uh, the 12 of Jesus is, is Thomas. Thomas gets a bum rap sometimes because uh, he's not doubting Thomas. He's pragmatic Thomas. He's somebody from Missouri. He wants to see and believe. And we read about Thomas in John 20, 24, where it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means a twin, so he must have had another Thomas running around somewhere, or a twin of Thomas, I should say, one of the 12, uh, and it says, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So Thomas wasn't in the room when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. The other disciples, verse 25 of John 20 says, uh, the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But here was Thomas's reply. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, Thomas may have been doubting the witness of the 11, I don't think he was doubting Jesus any more than the others were. He was just being very realistic about it. I'm not going to be fooled on something as all-encompassing and huge as believing that this guy was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I applaud him for that kind of uh, desire and, and needing to have it proven to him. He wanted truth. He wanted veracity. He wanted to know that what he was going to stake his life on and ultimately die as he did in India, uh, giving his life as a martyr for Jesus, he just needed to know that the cause was truly genuine. So here's the question for today as we talk about the Thomas Principle. Are there proofs? Physical, physical, visible, visible, physical, credible, and acceptable proofs that validate the Bible's claim to be the definitive and the exclusive Word of God. 
because that's what the Bible says about itself. That's what, as Christians, we say about the, the Bible. It's unique. It's different. It's not like any other book in existence. Okay, if that's the case, are there proofs that, that help us to, to validate that? Yes. There is much evidence to support the truthfulness of the record and the statements of the Bible. In other words, when the Bible mentions things, particularly a place, a person, or an event, we can often prove it. And I've said many times before in this podcast, one of the things that makes the Bible so unique is the thousands of cities it mentions and the thousands of people that it mentions and the records, the very specific and the chronologies and the genealogies and all those things that are very boring to read if you're just reading from Genesis to Revelation, but that prove in many, many ways uh, the truthfulness of this God-breathed book. For many of the places, people and reference in the Bible, we have irrefutable proof. There are places, places like Jericho and Solomon's chariot city of Megiddo or the tunnel, the 1,600-foot tunnel that runs from the Gihon Spring into Jerusalem carved out by Hezekiah and mentioned in the book of Kings and Chronicles. You can go to those places. You can see the char line on the old city of Jericho. You can stand in the gate of Megiddo, exactly as the Bible described it, as Solomon built this chariot city on the mountain of Megiddo, looking, overlooking the valley of Megiddo, where Armageddon, the battle, of the last battle referenced in Revelation, is going to take place. You can stand right there. You can walk through Hezekiah's tunnel with the water up to your ankles, sometimes up to your knees, and you can walk that exact uh, tunnel as carved by Hezekiah, no doubt about it, often laughed or ridiculed throughout the last 2,000 plus years of history until we find these places and all of a sudden the laughter dies down. They validate, they prove the record that the Bible gives. There's also people, people like Pontius Pilate who issued the death warrant to Jesus, King Ahab of Jezebel and Ahab. Uh, the king of Israel in the Old Testament, and then the king Hezekiah, a king of Judah. Yeah, we have reference. We have their names and their titles recorded in stone. And so we, we can validate the fact that these people lived, that uh, the time frames that they lived were exactly what the Bible says. And we have much evidence of that. And then, of course, there are some of the events. Uh, we have events like the Hebrews being enslaved in Egypt, recorded in different places in hieroglyphics on some of the pyramids as, they, as they've done archaeology. Indiana Jones and some of those great uh, archaeologists have, have done great work there. <clears throat> we also have the census of Caesar Augustus. Of course, that's what got Jesus to Bethlehem. And we have reference to that outside the Bible. There's also the return of the Jews to Jerusalem uh, issued by King Cyrus on what's called a Cyrus Cylinder that you can see today. And it, it's engraved in it that he released people to go back to their homes to worship as they choose. And he supplied them with substances, with uh, the materials they need, which is exactly what the book of Nehemiah and Ezra and even Esther references. Uh, so we, we have record of these things, of these people and these events and these places. So, yes, there is a, a tremendous amount of evidence that we can see, that we can walk in, that we can visit or look upon, that we can see and believe, just like Thomas. Now, 
Does that prove absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Bible is true? No. There are things occasionally contradictory, at least we don't understand how they fit together yet, that we don't have proof about. So you know, we need to be cautious. Sometimes Christians, I believe, overstep their bounds in saying absolutely true, no doubt about it. Well, we can believe it by faith, but we don't always have physical evidence to back up some of those things. That doesn't make them untrue. That just means that they're not proven in the sense of some of these other things that I've referenced of places and events and situations. So we want to be cautious of that. But I would say this, the Bible is light years ahead of any other writing, any other book, any other document, religious or non-religious. It has been studied, criticized, and believe me, it has been hated by thousands of people who have sought to destroy it through the ages. Yet to date, no evidence exists to discredit the places, people, or events that have been referenced. And so we're on solid ground. We don't know everything yet, but look, science and archaeology and so many of those uh, disciplines that sometimes are used to disprove the Bible, at least by the critics, have in fact validated the Bible. So today in this episode, uh, we're going to look at five different events or situations. There are thousands of them that we could reference, but we're going to talk about five that I think will help you to increase in your faith. If you're not a believer, it might challenge your unbelief, and hopefully you'll look into some of these things as we look at the Bible and seek to understand it in a simple and believable way. In fact, I would just begin even today talking about the miracle of the Bible. Uh, remember, if you've been on this podcast for long, you've heard me say numerous times that the Bible is a compilation of different books, 66 books, written by over 40 different people on three different continents over a 1,600-year, 1,600-year period of time. Now, you may think that that is a discredit to the Bible, but in fact, that is very much a credit to its truthfulness because it proves that even though in different countries, different cultures, different mindsets, uh, all sorts of different jobs that these people had, and yet as they write, it all comes together. And the Bible truly has internal integrity. It holds together and agrees with itself. And I would ask you just to compare with some of the other books of antiquity, some of the other religious books. For example, let's take the Quran. If you know anything about the Quran, it's the Bible, if you will, or the religious book of Islam. Let's talk about the Quran for just a moment, just in, in a sense of comparing it to the Bible. The Quran was written by one man, Muhammad, a uh, camel jockey, if you will. He worked for a lady, and uh, he took care of her camels, so uh, that was his job. He eventually married this lady after her husband died, but one man, Muhammad, wrote the Quran over a period of 20 years, and he wrote the Quran, or actually Islam would say that he received the Quran. He didn't write it. It was just transliterated to him in a sense, but he wrote it and, and recorded it in 600 A.D., 600 years after the birth of Christ. One man, 20 years, 600 years after the Bible is completed. 
there's a really good possibility that when Muhammad was writing or receiving the Quran, he had the Bible in front of him because the Bible was, was very much in existence at 600 AD. So it's quite a contrast between the Bible and this book that many people base their faith on called the Quran. The Quran doesn't list all these cities and all these names and all these places and all these genealogies. The Bible does. To me, that validates the Bible as a book of integrity as well as a book of religious antiquity. So let's talk about a few things here for a moment. Let's, let's uh, uh, use the Thomas principle uh, to uh, see and believe. I want to start with a man and his book. The man's name is Flavius Josephus. You can get the book at bookstores. You can access it online. Uh, the uh, Antiquities of Flavius Josephus. Josephus was a man born about the time of Jesus' death. He was born in 37 A.D. He died in 100 A.D. So the importance of this is that he lived during the time of the church. He lived during the time of Jesus. He didn't see Jesus, but he certainly saw Jesus' family. He certainly knew and understood all the events that were taking place. Uh, he was uh, a contemporary of the Apostle Paul, of the Apostle John, of Matthew, the apostle and writer of the Gospel of Matthew, and of James, the brother of, half-brother of Jesus. Now, Josephus was Jewish, probably of a priestly order, and he even fought against the Romans. But after a while, he kind of saw the writing on the wall, and uh, he went over to the Romans. And he became a translator for the Romans as they were in Israel. Uh, he became a friend of a Roman general by the name of Titus, as well as his translator. Josephus was an eyewitness of some things, and one of the things he was an eyewitness of was the destruction and the burning of the temple, the very temple that Jesus prophesied would be destroyed uh, within 40 years. Josephus saw that, and he wrote about it, and you can read about those things in his writings. But I'm just going to reference three people that Josephus wrote about that are very prominent in the Bible, that we have this man, not a Christian, not a believer, not someone trying to emphasize or, or build up the character of Jesus or to validate the, the New Testament for sure. He was a Jew, so maybe the Old Testament as he wrote some of uh, things of history. But he had no skin in the game, so to speak, no stake in this. And yet he writes about three individuals. Let's uh, reference them. You can read Josephus and you can find the actual places or Google it and you can find it pretty easy. But let's talk about three men that Josephus references. The first one, and I'm just going to read it to you, his name was John the Baptist. And here's what he says about John the Baptist. I'm quoting now. John, who was called the Baptist, for Herod had killed this good man who had commanded the Jews to exercise virtue, righteousness toward one another, and piety toward God. Now many people came in crowds to him, for they were greatly moved by his words. But Herod Fearing the great influence that John had over the masses, accordingly, uh, John had John sent uh, to prison. And out of Herod's suspicious temper, had him sent to Maseris, which was a, a royal city, a, a special city built for uh, Herod. He had seven or eight of those, just like Masada was one of them. This was Maseris. And it goes on, and I'm quoting Josephus again, and was put to death. So we have the fact that John the Baptist was put to death by King Herod, not in the Bible, 
but by another author who really could care less about what happened to John the Baptist. And yet he validates exactly what the Bible says. Let's have another reading from Josephus about Jesus. Here's what he says about Josephus. About this time lived Jesus. Excuse me. Here's what Josephus says about Jesus. Let me get that correct. And here's what the quote is. About this time lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was the achiever of extraordinary deeds and was a teacher of those who accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah. When he was indicted by the principal men among us and Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him originally did not cease to do so, for he appeared to them on the third day restored to life as the prophets of the deity had foretold these and countless other marvelous things about him. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Listen to what Josephus said. He was the Messiah, Jesus. He lived. He was put to death by the Pharisees, and Pilate is the one who condemned him to die. And yet he rose again on the third day, just as the Old Testament had prophesied that he would. Now, we have no record that Josephus was a Christian, but what an amazing testimony. Outside the Bible, extra biblical resource saying that Jesus was who he said he was and that the Bible is correct in its assessment of Jesus. I'll continue this last quote here, these last words. And the tribe of Christians, so named after him, have not disappeared to this day. You see, Josephus was living among all the Christians. He was an eyewitness to what was going on in the book of Acts. And he saw the things that were taking place. And he speaks of them as he writes his history. One other reference from Josephus, and it has to do with James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus and the author of the book of James. And here's what he says about James. Uh, Ananus, that's not Annas, Ananus, it's a different high priest, but he was the high priest of the Sadducees and of uh, the Sanhedrin. And here's what he says that he did. Convening the judges of the Sanhedrin, he brought before them the brother of Jesus who was called the Christ, whose name was James. He accused them of having transgressed the law and delivered them up to be stones, stoned. And now, we, so, so we have a third reference to a very prominent biblical character by Josephus for no reason other than he is recording a history, and yet he calls James, uh, as he speaks of James, he talks about him as the brother of Christ. Pretty amazing stuff that would stand up as testimony in any court of law, and yet it validates and proves specifically the things of the Bible. Now, quickly, let's go to a few others. Number two, first was Josephus. Number two in our Thomas principles here is the Dead Sea Scrolls. I know you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered in a cave in, uh, outside the Dead Sea in 1946 by a shepherd boy who was trying to flush some sheep out of a, uh, a cave, and he throws a rock in there. He hears something break. He thought that was odd. He goes in there, and he finds these jars. There are many caves, actually, but particularly this one. And so he finds the documents in them. We know for fact now those documents, which most of them are, have been kept and found and put together and, and are, being, are preserved, uh, they were written about 200 years before the birth of Christ. 
They were stored in these caves, as I said, around the Dead Sea. Amazing things that most of the Old Testament, except for the book of Esther, there are references to every Old Testament book on these Dead Sea Scrolls discovered in 1946. There were 230 manuscripts, so a lot of writing uh, that was found. And most importantly, you can see this in Jerusalem if you go to a, a museum called the Book of the Shrine, which is now part of the Israeli Museum or the Israel Museum. You can see the entire book of Isaiah. You have 66 chapters in your Bible of the book of Isaiah. Of course, there were no chapters back in those days. There was just simply the book of Isaiah. But if you read the book of Isaiah found in the Dead Sea Scrolls and you read the book of Isaiah in your hand, in your Bible, they are exactly the same. Of course, one's in Hebrew, one's in English. But nonetheless, they are exactly the same, proving to us that the Bible hasn't changed, that it hasn't been made up or changed and massaged to make things happen. The prophecies that, that validated Jesus were there 200 years before Jesus was even born. And we have record of that today. Number three, the Pilate Stone. The Pilate Stone was found in 1961 in Caesarea, which is on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. The Apostle Paul was in prison there in Caesarea and spent many time, many, many months, perhaps years, there in this city. But for years, the critics would scoff at the whole reference of Pontius Pilate because there really was no reference, at least they didn't see any, of Pilate being uh, the one who put Jesus to death. And so they, had, uh, they would ridicule that. Then in 1961, a stone was found by archaeologists as they were excavating there in Caesarea in the sand, and they found uh, this dedication marker. It was, uh, we don't know what it was dedicating, probably a temple is what the scholars think. But anyway, these words found exactly during the Roman Empire at the right time in the right place, even with dates on it, uh, this is what the marker said, quote, to the divine Augustus Tiberius, Pontius Pilate, it means de dedicated to, uh, to the divine Augustus Tiberius, that would be Caesar Augustus, uh, Pontius Pilate, perfect or governor of Judea, has dedicated this. Now those words prove numerous things. They prove that Pontius Pilate lived, that he was the governor of Judea, and we know exactly when he was ruling by the fact of who was the Caesar during that period of time. So number three is the Pilate Stone. Again, you can see this in a museum today. It's their solid touch-and-see evidence of the truthfulness of the Bible. Number four, the Caiaphas Ossuary. Discovered in 1990, an ossuary is a box about the size of a microwave. And during the times of Jesus, uh, a lot of times people would, when they would die, they would be allowed to lay in state, in a sense, for a number of months or even years until the flesh basically had desiccated from the bones. And then they would take those bones and gather them up and put them in this box. Oftentimes they would engrave upon the box, usually the name of the person, uh, sort of what we do when we cremate someone today and we have uh, a little vial or a, a something to, to put the ashes in. Well, they would take the bones. But upon this box found in 1990, it was inscribed twice on the box the name of the high priest Caiaphas. Now, Caiaphas is mentioned nine times in the New Testament. He's very prominent. Obviously, he was there uh, as high priest when Jesus was tried and sentenced to death. 
So we have another extra biblical witness of somebody from the Bible that uh, is very prominent, and everything the Bible says about Caiaphas is exactly what we could know from the evidence that we have obtained from archaeology and from some of the other disciplines. Lastly here, number five, we're going to talk about one of my favorites, Abraham's Gate. This gate was discovered in 1979. It's made out of mud bricks, which helps to date it. And it's at the very north end of Israel in a city called Dan, also known as the city of Laish. Now, they may, may not mean much to you, but when you go to Genesis 14, you read that Lot was taken. He was kidnapped, and he was taken to the city of Dan. Abraham and, and the 300 plus others, I believe it was the number, uh, go there, they attack, they rescue Lot and his family, and they bring him back. And as they're coming out of the city of Dan, of course, they're coming through the gate. Well, my friends, you can go today to Abraham's gate and you can, and I, I've done this a few times, it always amazes me, Abraham lived 4,000 years ago. Excuse me. Uh, 4,000 BC, uh, yeah, 4,000, 4,500 years ago. And you can walk on the stones that lead up to that gate, those stones that are still there, set in place that were there during Abraham's day. You're literally walking on the same stones as Abraham did as he went into and out of the city of Dan or Laish. Absolutely amazing to think that going all the way back to the birth of, the family of the, of the Old Testament. Remember in Genesis 12, God calls out Abraham and he's going to make from him a holy family, a nation, and ultimately the Messiah will come from him. And you're walking on the same stones that he walked on. So all I'm saying with everything that we've talked about today, there is so much evidence to prove or at least to support the claims of the Bible. Many of them they prove other claims we can't prove yet. Uh, on the Facebook side of this podcast, I'm going to have some pictures and some writing as well as uh, the quotes from Josephus just so that you can pull some of these things together. Hopefully it will support your faith. It will encourage you to believe the Bible and to investigate the claims, especially those ones that we don't understand, so that we can more fully not only understand, but believe the story, the testimony of God's Word. We're not afraid. We're not afraid of science. We welcome it. We're not afraid of archaeology. We look forward to it. We're not afraid of geology or history because all truth is God's truth and the Bible is his truth. Hey, thank you for listening. Next week, we're going to talk about the return of Jesus Christ. An important topic, an exciting topic, and just going to share some things that tie the Bible together concerning the return of Jesus Christ. So I hope you can join me next week. Thank you for giving me 24 plus, looks like about 26 minutes, honestly, but thank you for being a part of today's podcast on the Thomas Principle. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to the channel. And if you would be so kind, please share it with your friends who might enjoy it as well. Join us next week with Mark Miner for another episode as we continue to explore how the Bible so beautifully fits together. May you have a blessed week 
and may God be glorified in your lives.